0: Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. Being a surrogate for another woman is perhaps one of the most selfless things one person can do for another which is probably why you don't hear a lot about surrogates they're out there but they're rare if i'm honest with myself i don't think i could do it i don't know how you could get past that connection you would feel carrying this child for nine months it's certainly something that psychologically you need to be very prepared for i recently had the opportunity to interview wendy Romanko. Uh, for the podcast, and she is just absolutely amazing. But what really blew my mind about her was just her approach to it was so calm and just well thought out. So enjoy listening to this podcast because Wendy is truly one in a million. Hi, Wendy. It's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Candace. So I know a little bit, and I'm talking a very minute little bit about your story, <laughs> Okay, um, and that is that you are um, a surrogate. I and was, yeah. So I want to, I really want to talk about that and get into that, but I think we need to sort of start a little bit with about you a bit. So okay. tell me about you. You have two children? Three three children. Oh yeah. Okay. I have three daughters. I was, um, I lived
1: in the Muskoka region for the longest time, um, born and raised there, married a high school sweetheart type of thing, had three girls. And after 18 years of marriage that was done. So then I moved, um, I got a job at this in the city and, uh, Toronto being the city and, um, yeah, just moved down there and started a new life and doing my own thing. And, three, uh, two of the three girls came with me. And then the third followed not long after. Okay. So So at that point, how old were your children? Oh gosh. Um, Oh, ages. Uh, two were in high school. One was in public school. Okay. So grade, I want to say grade seven, grade nine and grade 11. Okay. So you were well past sort of that young... Oh, yeah. They weren't infants or anything. They were, yeah, old enough to talk back, all that sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm in that stage myself right now, so I get it. Uh, So, um, and then what were you doing uh, for work at that time?
1: So funny enough, my my ex-husband, his girlfriend from that time got me a job at a mortgage company where I still work. Yeah. So that was really nice. And, uh, yeah, I just found my footing there, moved through departments and, uh, created a, a career and a life down in in the city.
0: Okay. So um, what led you then to surrogacy? So, um, it was actually, and I have to be
1: careful because of the logistics of the contract and stuff that I signed, but, um, it was a boss, a boss. Um, I was, I was doing, um, I was in a particular department. We'll leave that We'll just leave it at that so nobody can really source what I'm saying. But um, we were out for um, an off-site lunch with external partners, and he was discussing the um, fact that his wife and him were looking for uh, possibly a surrogate. She was no longer able to carry a child. She did carry one IVF, but uh, other health concerns and stuff had had just basically taken that away from her. And I wasn't really part of the conversation. I was more like, you know, just here listening in and stuff. And um, he made a comment that to one of the other external partners that, oh, yeah, postmenopausal women are actually better carriers. And it kind of, we all just kind of laughed it off. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Ha ha ha. But what was interesting was that was in November. And the July prior to that, I had had a bunch of blood work done and stuff. Didn't really follow up with my doctor about it turned out the same week that that conversation took place, I, I got a call from my doctor saying that I was postmenopausal at 47, which was kind of like, yay, no hot flashes. That's nice. And, um, I (laughs) wish that was
0: my reality.
1: I know. I know. I I try not to tell too many people that because they get really mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah. So, I thought about it for about a week because at first I was like oh you know this is the universe speaking to me and I should be you know this is what I'm supposed to do I wasn't in a relationship wasn't really using my uterus so you know um and I waited about a week and then I had an opportunity to speak with him and I just said you know if if you guys are looking for candidates I'll throw my hat in the ring we'll see I I may not I said I might be too old I might be too you know there might not be enough parts working that need to be working all that sort of stuff and um, you know when he picked himself up off the floor (laughs) he spoke to his wife about it and stuff and it was actually it was funny because we had to kind of rush my oldest daughter was getting married um in like a year and a half from then, and I had to make sure that the timing was right. So we did we did all the preliminary testing and stuff. I passed the psych eval, which a lot of us were surprised. And uh, <laughs> it was interesting, though. It's a very
0: interesting process because well, that's that's really actually what I would like to delve into a little bit here yeah, with this. Let's yeah. talk about that process. You have so you said you have to do a psych evaluation. You do, so So the first thing that happens is you you meet with the
1: doctor at the fertility clinic, and he was, he was this like crusty old guy, and, and very straightforward, very blunt, and he, he basically interrogated me, and said, you know, why would you do this? Why would you offer to do this? You know you don't get paid in Canada, and that's the thing that seems to, that's my one sticking point with doing this, is a lot of people can't understand that there wasn't any monetary motivation. Well, there's no way you did it for free. There's no way you did it for free. You had to have gotten paid. It's illegal to be paid in Canada. You cannot be paid for surrogacy in Canada. There are agencies that get paid, but for like baby brokering, like they do in the States and stuff, you can't, it's just, you can't. So, and not that I would have anyway, that was, so when the the doctor was interviewing me and said, you know, like, why would you do this and stuff? And I said, well, you know, they, they really love children. He would, he would tear up when he would speak about his daughter. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? Every daughter should have a father that, that, you know, in love with them and such a good role model. And just, it was beautiful. So, um, yeah, so we did the interrogation <laughs> and I just said to him, I said, you know, to me, it's more like organ donation, really, or bone marrow transplant. I have it. They don't, they need it. Good comes out of it. Why wouldn't I? And, um, it just kind of evolved from there. And, and he actually, yes, I remember him saying to me, that's a good answer. So yeah. So we moved forward with the, the psych evaluation and then there was like all the medical history and stuff. And I had to fill out document after document, after document, lots of blood. It took a lot of blood. I remember the first time I went to the clinic to take blood, I thought I was going to pass out because she kept, she just kept digging vial after vial and putting them in this little cart. And I'm like, are, are you just looking for the right size? And she's like, no, no, these are all for you. And, and then I laid down. <laughs> so,
0: I, imagine, <laughs> I imagine that there are a sort of, I guess maybe no-goes. Like if you had a extensive history of drinking or any sort of addiction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And that's what all the blood work is. So I, had there been sexually transmitted diseases or blood, blood anomalies, anything like that. Um, genetic issues too, I'm sure. Um, so it was very strange because, you know, there was a lot and a lot of testing and that sort of thing. And I was actually surprised medically that I passed because I'm old. Like, I mean, I was 47, so in, in all reality, baby-bearing-wise, it's like, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of younger people that could have done this a lot easier, um, but I had always kept in the back of my mind that whole, oh, well, you know, the doctor's thing said that a postmenopausal woman carries easier because her, her hormones don't interfere, blah, blah, blah. Now, the interesting thing is, and I'll skip to the very end, after the baby was born and such, the, the OBGYN, we were discussing that conversation and how I had said, you know, uh, that was kind of the whole catalyst for me all volunteering. And she and the mother both looked at me like I had three heads and said, that's that that never happened. That conversation. never <laughs> happened." So I don't know where that where the dad got it from. I don't know if it was just a weird thing that stuck in his head. But everybody kept saying, no, that's not true. And she said, actually, your blood pressure was really high during a lot of the testing. And I didn't think you were going to make it. And I didn't think the baby was going to like, survive and stuff. So it was a really interesting and I mean, that is really skipping ahead. But I still contend that my blood pressure was very high because I
0: sat in the waiting room for three hours and it made me irritable. But um, we'll just go with whatever. (laughs) So let's uh, okay, so I want to make sure that we're clear on this. You actually postmenopausal women are not actually better carriers. From a doctor, from the doctor after the fact said no, but okay. I mean,
1: there, I have no medical expertise. I have no medical background. I only have my personal experience. So clearly they can,
0: <laughs> Yeah. Right. In know,
1: in all reality. Cause that's what I, I, I think that's what kind of started it when we, when we kind of went down that rabbit hole is after the fact, I said, you know, more women like me should do this because they don't have a family that they're raising. They don't have you know, a partner, maybe there's nothing, you know, they've got a career, so they don't need to do it for money. I I always, my, my biggest problem through all of this was, and this is very judgmental and I get it, but anyone who would carry a child strictly as a commodity, I, I don't feel that that's a good environment for a little soul to grow in. That's just not, I can't see how, you know, that I can't see that's healthy. I, I, but I what about the that,
0: expenses that come up through the pregnancy? Sure. Just natural exactly. expenses so, are those yeah. covered? And so, so here's the thing. So,
1: I had a full-on contract. Um, one, one of the main things was I wasn't allowed to post on social media about it, which I understand—they're very private people—and I, of course, not. Um, so there was a there was an allowance for. They did have to pay for the lawyer that I used. I mean, they got me the lawyer. I didn't really care about getting a lawyer. I was willing to just sign anything, but, um, and that, that in and of itself was interesting. So they paid for a lawyer for me and, um, we did it all over the phone. So it was kind of funny because we were, she was asking me all the questions and we're whipping through everything. Like if something happened to me, um, and I was in a vegetative state or something, did I want them to keep me alive if it meant that the baby would survive. And I said, well, of course, that's kind of the whole reason. she like, yeah, but you got to think about your family and what about your own children? And I'm like, they know why I'm doing this. So if something, God forbid, happened and I was going to die, you know, but carry the baby to term, yeah, keep me in a coma, whatever, do it. So, yeah, so she was, she was, uh, it was, it was interesting to work with her because she's like, I think we whipped through it in an hour the whole contract. And she's like, this is the fastest I've ever been through. But I was very set. I had amazing support. I know a lot of my friends and families were very, very worried about me, but I had a lot of really good support through it. So I never felt like I couldn't do it. Um, Until (laughs) the day I found out I had to put needles in my stomach, that was the day that I, I went, oh, I can't do this. And I remember bawling hysterically in, and, and calling a girlfriend and saying, you know, I can't do this. I have to tell this family. I can't have this baby for them. And she's like, how big are these needles? I'm like, well, they're not big, but I have to like stab myself in the stomach every day. And nobody told me about that. They told me about the ones that go in my butt, but they didn't tell me about the ones in my stomach and that I'd be doing those alone. And I was, it took me a good 15 minutes to get up the courage to do it. And then I did it and it was nothing. It didn't even hurt. So,
0: <laughs> so then I felt stupid. what's, what's in these needles? Are they hormones? So the first, the first
1: set of needles were something called luprin. And it was basically to, I think to make sure that my uh, hormones and stuff were, were not going to interfere with anything. I could be wrong again. Um, and then I had to take progesterone shots in my butt because the, um, obviously my, my lining was a little thin. They had to get my cervix ready to carry another baby, that sort of thing. So it was, um, it was a very interesting process. And I mean, it did take a village. I would go to work every day and, and I'd have to hook somebody in my office to come into the bathroom with me and give me a needle in the butt. And, um, we had one guy in the office, we had a, we had a Zen room that we called a Zen room and uh, it was, if you weren't feeling well, whatever, had a headache, you could go lay down, that sort of thing. And, and this guy was, he was a big, big guy. And he has like this big, deep, very white voice. And so we would go into that cause he was the only one that was in early enough to do it. And I only trusted certain people and it was just the hip. It wasn't like you were, you know, completely naked or anything, but I just remember <laughs> one time going into the room and, and of course it's just audio in the rest of the office. So you hear this big, very white, okay, are you ready? This is going to hurt. Okay, I'm going to put it in now. (laughs) Thinking about, oh, this is going to be interesting when we come out of this room. (laughs) So it had a lot of fun stuff along the way. And a lot of people were um, eager to help, eager to get involved. Um, Price-wise, it worked out good for me. Um, because I have a health plan through my work. So technically they were supposed to pay for all my medication and stuff, but it, my, my drug plan covered it anyway. So I said, why, like, why would they use theirs?
0: Right. So okay. and
1: they have a young daughter and, and his wife has some conditions and stuff too. So it's like, no,
0: we'll just use mine. I don't need it.
1: Um, and, uh, what else happened? We had, uh.
0: So I am imagining in this contract that you signed with a lawyer, Yep. What else was sort of stipulated in that? You know, it, you so, know what you could do? Uh, well, eat. it
1: was interesting. Yeah, no, so I, I wasn't allowed to go skydiving, horseback riding, water skiing, you know, the usual seems, things. Any reason to avoid yeah, kind those? Of <laughs> I don't know if they put hang gliding or not. I probably should have tried, but no. <laughs> no, uh, the interesting thing was um, there were certain conditions. Um, obviously, you can't have sex while, while you're doing this, because, and if I was with a partner, they would have had to have been tested and everything too, but you just, I mean, yeah, no. So, um, that wasn't an issue. The, um, I'm trying to think, I think I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to eat lunch meat, processed meat, which I can understand. Carrie's Listeria. Yeah. Yeah. So anything in that now, they were, they're, they're, they were, they're still, they're Jewish. So I did offer to eat kosher for them if they wanted to, but they said, no, there was no need. Which was good because I really like bacon, um, but uh, yeah. So they uh, they had to do some little ceremony anyway because in the Jewish culture, if the if the host is not Jewish, they do something to I guess make her Jewish after the fact or something. <laughs> but but technically, because it was their embryo, so there was really no part of her other than my uterus. So and the placenta fed her, so it's something to do with that. I didn't I didn't really get involved with that sort of stuff, but. Uh, yeah, so there was uh there was a stipulation for um I think they were supposed to I want to say $750 clothing allowance. There was I was supposed to keep receipts of all my travel um if I had to go for a clinic visit or whatever, I was to keep all my receipts if I went for lunch, when I went for these clinic things and then this was stuff I worked out with, not so much the lawyer, but when we did the psych eval and stuff, and the lady had said, you know, well, just if you don't want them to pay for it, because my thing was I was very adamant I didn't want to have them pay for anything for two reasons. One, for me, I needed it to be a completely altruistic thing. I, um, I had a really bad horse accident when I was uh, 29, and I almost died, and I, I've always thought... If you get a second chance, you make sure you do something for somebody else that makes your life worthwhile, um, makes, or makes your second chance worthwhile. So, um, this was kind of my opportunity to pay back.
0: Okay. I got to live. So, <laughs> so that's that was pretty, my that's thing. a pretty big give back that you, that you, oh, and here's
1: the thing: it took me, so she's two and a half now, well, just over two. And I, I think I didn't realize the magnitude at the time. Because everybody kept saying it's such a big deal. And I kept thinking, it's really not, though. Because I'm not really giving up. Yeah, I'm going to get a little fat. You know, I'm going to this and that. I'm tired. But it it really, to me, it wasn't giving up a lot. Um, And I think I had a really hard time with people making it a big deal. Because to me, and this is where I don't know if anybody else, unless they did it, could understand. I thank them every day for allowing me to do it. Uh, To me, it was a huge honor. I mean, for someone to trust you with their child from day one to, you know, giving birth to them and just, it was, I was so grateful to them. It was just, I mean, it it was truly an honor. And um, I, I did get upset a few times because people would, e- even their friends and some, some people that they knew would say, oh my gosh, you know, what's, what's wrong with this woman? Is she like a serious Christian? Did she kill somebody? What's she making up for? And I, I, I got kind of upset because they said to them, you know, can't they just be happy for you? How about you guys just deserve it? How about that? Mm-hmm. Like you're good parents. You love your daughter. You, you know, you do anything. I had met all of the family. I met, you know, the aunts and uncles, the grandparents, they loved this child before she was even put in me. So it was just, it, it made it very, very easy. It was a very easy decision.
0: So, you know, I, I, you're like, you're, you're telling me here, that you know, there's a lot of judgment that seems to come attached to this yeah. very altruistic Uh, endeavor Mm -hmm. what was that like for you with your closest friends and family when you're now you're 40 so how old were you when you 47 47 47, you're now pregnant your children are grown I mean what did what did your children think what did your your parents (laughs) or your siblings think (laughs) well so it was funny because um
1: I have one really good. Well, I have a lot of good friends, but I had one really good friend that she she was my rock through it. In terms of, uh, she got me into. I don't know if anybody else is gonna on this in the podcast. I'll read this book, The Four Agreements, and it is a phenomenal book. It's very small, but I had always. She pushed me and pushed me, pushed me to read it. So she was always kind of my. She was my rock in terms of keeping me accountable to the Four Agreements. So she was the one when. I was bawling saying, Oh my God, I can't do this because I have to tell this poor family. I can't carry the baby because I have to put needles in my stomach. And she said, um, in the four agreements, you must be impeccable with your word. And I went, Oh, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you hold me accountable. Yeah, don't make me feel accountable. But that was, that was it. And, and I've told her multiple times, you know, you're part of the reason this baby too. And she went, don't be ridiculous. And I'm like, no, it's true. So I think the part for me that was, uh, so my oldest daughter, when I told her cried, because she thought it was beautiful. My middle daughter, her exact words were, mommy, sometimes you're a little too generous with people. (laughs) And the third one was like, all right, I guess that's what you're going to (laughs) do. So that was it. My mom was terrified. Um, she was very worried about me, you know, losing my life, being being in danger, that sort of thing. But she was very behind me too. She was quite. Fair excited. concerns from a mom. Of course, of course, yeah. So she was very concerned, but she, I think she knows me well enough. And I kept saying to her, "Well, you're the reason I'm doing this." And she went, "Pardon?" And I said, "You always taught me, you know, if you can help
0: people, you should help them." So yeah. Oh, so that's, that's wonderful. Kind of, what a wonderful yeah. testament to your mother.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, in the it, it, it was. It, it was nice. The concern was nice. The judgment, not so much. Um, but I had fun with it too because I didn't tell a lot of people. I mean, everybody in our office knew the good thing was we're a very progressive office and we're a family. So before this all went out, um, we talked to HR, we talked to the president of the company. They were very, very supportive. Um, they, you know, they, they had to follow their little tick list and make sure that I, w- I didn't feel coerced into it. And I'm like, <laughs> like anybody who knows me, no, I don't get coerced. Sorry. So, um, yeah, it was, and it was nice because I got to, I got to develop a real relationship with the mom. They came to every appointment with me. You know, the dad got to see the belly a lot more than she did, but we, we started doing, I had her send me videos on, on WhatsApp. So her and her daughter, cause I said, I want you to talk and just, even if it's just you reading a story to your daughter or whatever, I'll play that for my belly so that your baby can hear your voice before, you know, you get to hear your voice type of thing and that sort of thing. And um, so we, we kept a way of being engaged so that it was, it was a journey for her too, because she had not been able to, um, when she did carry her, her other, her other daughter, she um, unfortunately had to be knocked out. So she was never through a live birth that sort of thing so that was the one thing when we were meeting with all the doctors to say because I didn't realize this is a big thing they have nurses that are specifically for surrogacies and and they go through everything with you and they coordinate and you know what Wendy do you want somebody in with you do you want to have you know you you can have your own support people and I said well no the parents will be coming in and they went well no no they're for the baby and I said well they can be there for me too Mm-hmm. But, and to me, it was creepy. Like, why would I bring, and and the family, they were so wonderful. They said, you know, do you, if you would rather, like, if you'd rather we weren't there in the delivery room, we totally understand. And if you want to have someone in your family or friends come and I'm like, no, this is your, like, you don't have strangers into somebody's baby. Like, that's just weird. So yeah. So that was, and it was really nice because they got to be with me through all 19 hours of labor. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That part I didn't like so much. Uh turns out 23 years between births is um like doing it all from the scratch. Hard on
0: the body, I suspect.
1: Apparently, yeah, yeah. And I I, I said to the one of the nurses, like, Am I just a wimp? Because I don't
0: remember it hurting this bad. And she's like, Oh honey, <laughs> that's a long time. <laughs> when I was when I was pregnant with both of my daughters, you know, yeah. I knew in my heart, I knew before I took that pregnancy test that I was pregnant. And that bond the bond is is it, it's it's you know it's innate it's you can call it whatever you want primal. It's, primal. it's primal it's there yeah yeah what was that like for you so I think for me
1: from day one I had always gone into this thinking if it's not meant to be it will stop early Something will happen. I won't pass the testing. I'll have, you know, blood anomaly or something. The IVF just simply won't take. I always went into it with that mindset of if it's meant to be, it's going to work. If not, there's no way, you know, we're all going to go through this for something horrible. Um, And the family had had a very hard time with, they were always expecting the worst. So it was, it was, it was a real challenge To sometimes be around them because they, you know, they were constantly, every appointment, they're waiting for the bad news because that's all they've been used to. Um, There was a few times, like after I had the IVF. Well, first, when we went to do the IVF, it was really nice because the mom got to come with me. So that was awesome. And oh, actually, prior to that, we had to do some other testing. And it turned out they found, um, they just saw a histogram and I had a polyp somewhere in there (laughs) in the oven. And so we had to have that removed before i could have the baby because uh put in because there was a possibility it could cause um a miscarriage so i've always looked at it that you know i don't know what that polyp was i don't know what it would have developed into but how do i know that's not the trade-off that you know they got rid of that for me i gave them you know a baby that you know so it's almost like a checks and balances of the scales which was kind of the way I've always looked at it.
0: Yeah. I had um, a guest once that I interviewed Kim Smiley and her expression was, is it odd or God? And yes. that, Oh, that's that, perfect. That yeah. expression just sticks with yeah. me because yeah. you know, sometimes things just happen at it's the true. perfect moment yeah. yeah, and we don't know why. Well, and I think when you get
1: a little bit older, you start listening. You start listening to the, I mean, it sounds a little out there and I know people are like, oh, she sounds like a whack, but you start listening to the signs, you start seeing the things fall into place. And I think if you ignore them for too long, I think that's when you live a life of regret. And you, you know, you don't really, those what ifs and all that sort of stuff. So I mean, this. I really think it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't meant to happen. So we did have bumps along the way when we went to do the, the IVF. Um, they only had three embryos left. And the first one thawed out, and, and because of my age, they were only going to put one in. Typically with IVF, apparently they put two or three. And then if two take, they actually do remove the third because a triplet is a a situation for the mom, but because of my advanced age, they said, we're not gonna take a risk of putting up, like you getting pregnant with two embryos. So they only put one in, but when we got to the clinic to get it done, um, the first one that they had thought out didn't survive. So now they were down to two. And so we put the second one in and that was it. It it took um, about five weeks, I wanna say after, I had, I had full on bleeding and I thought, I'm losing this baby for these people. And I was devastated for them and they were devastated. And, um, I called the clinic and they said, it's too early in the pregnancy. There's nothing we can do. Um, so that was, that was a setback that was absolutely heartbreaking and, uh, turned out it was fine. So, so yeah, and then we did another blood test later on, and it was the, the really cool thing. The day that the day that we found out from the first test that I, that the IVF had worked and I was pregnant, we were actually at a lunch with the same people that the original conversation that spurred all this on. It, like it, it, it just so weird, but so cool at the same time. So it was like so, yeah. So we got to tell them again, like, hey, you guys are kind of the reason behind all this, and and it was uh, it was a really neat. Like a lot of people were involved in it, and that's the, that's what I used to say to the family too. You know what? There's so much love. There's so much positive people about like helping with this situation. How can it not be successful?
0: So yeah. Okay. So let's. Fast forward through the pregnancy uh, and get to the birth. You you, <laughs> you have had the baby, 19 hours in labor, uh, oh, yeah. not easy on your body. All parents go were there the whole time, which was amazing. So did you um, breastfeed?
1: Nope. No, No. Uh, no. No. So there was a couple things that, um, for me, it was very important. Um, and the mom and I kind of skirted the issue. But I had always said from day one, being a mother myself and stuff, I can only imagine and and I've never asked her and nor would I because I think it would have put her in a very awkward position because I think she felt I'm sure there's a part of her that felt she had to kind of go along with whatever I wanted because I was giving her a baby and she was very and we did talk briefly about it after and I said you know like you know thank you so much it was such an honor and, and she said well you know really I was desperate <laughs> So, so, and I mean, she wasn't saying anything negative about me, but it was basically, I think she would have taken it from anybody if it meant she could have, have her baby, which was fine. But, um, I've lost my train of thought now, uh, baby. Yeah. 19 hours of labor. Um, no. So uh, prior to that, when we meet with the nurse to do the, the surrogacy planning and all that sort of stuff, and am I having anybody in there? And then she said, skin to skin, is there going to be like, will you be holding the baby? And I said, absolutely not this is not my child. That's like having a stranger. I mean, a stranger, but not a stranger. But it's like, as a mother, having to have somebody else carry your baby, I think would be very hard. Um, and mm-hmm. she she and I had talked a lot about how she felt, you know, she was being punished. And was, you know, what, 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 what had she done wrong that she can't carry her baby and mm-hmm. everybody else can have babies. And, you know, there's crack babies born in the alleys every day and all these horrible things. And she's like, and we just want one so bad and we can't. So it's hard not to feel like, we being yeah. punished. Um, so for me, I was ever vigilant about putting her needs first, her thoughts on it, whether it was me jumping into shoes, I didn't even think I should fit. Um, but really, I, I tried to do everything with her in my forethoughts. If I was in her shoes and knowing, you know, how she felt about things, how can I make this as comfortable as possible for her, make her as included as possible for her and not overstep? I am an overbearing person. I recognize that. Um, <laughs> so um, it, it taught me a lot in terms of just keeping my mouth shut. And um, it's not my place to tell people what to do. So there were certain things. Um, she wanted me to get the flu shot. I absolutely refused. There's there, there were things where I put my foot down and just said no. And I mean, the doctor really pushed and said, well, you know, you're giving birth during flu season. And I said, absolutely not. The baby will use my antibodies or whatever. But I am not taking the flu shot. Like I've put enough things in my body. Thank you. No more. And, um, and they were good about that. And then, um, you know, the epidural, that was, that was never a question. I was like, Oh, hell yeah. I'm doing an epidural.
0: Like okay, ordered so that before <laughs> I ordered that know, ahead of time. <laughs> was there an emotional sort of uh, so there was, letting the baby go?
1: No, because they were with me through the whole thing. And I knew she was never mine. Like, I was excited to be a part of it, but I was in a stage of my life where, and the mom and I did actually talk about this at one of the doctor's appointments, when we knew everything was good and there wasn't gonna be, I was farther along and that sort of thing. And I just said to her, I said, you know, had I gotten pregnant by myself at this age, I I would not carry it. I would not have carried a baby to term. I would have probably, you know, aborted or whatever why would I, I don't want to do another 18 years. And no, and and she, and she understood. And that's what she said. No, 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 I get it. You're in a completely different phase of your life. And that was, that was where I would have fun with it. Because of course, if people didn't know I was a surrogate, they'd be like, you must be so excited. And I'm like, no, I'm not keeping it. It's not mine. (laughs) They don't look at me like, what is wrong with you? But, um, yeah, so I would have fun with it that way. I was very protective of her while I was pregnant in terms of, if you're smoking and you're near me, you need to leave because I'm going to punch you in the face. Um, I made sure when I carried my cell phone, I didn't have it anywhere near my belly. I didn't go near microwaves. I ate healthy as possible, uh, less processed foods, um, that sort of thing. I go for walks every day, all that sort of stuff. So I, I did make a point of actually being a lot more healthy than I probably would have been if it was just me. Um so that was kind of neat, but when when it came time to actually like in the room giving birth, just seeing her face when she, you know when the baby came out, she was holding my hand when I was pushing. Then they handed her the they handed her the baby, and I said to her, "You know, I wish in a way we had captured it on camera." I'm going to start crying, um, but oh, whew. <laughs> when when they met and when she held that little girl and their eyes met, it was the most beautiful exchange
0: of love I have ever seen. Like to just see that is, um,
1: and it to was have been great. a
0: part of that to been, re- help, you yeah, know, partly no, responsible. It, it, for,
1: it's beautiful. Yes. and No, to me, I felt very voyeuristic. I didn't, it, it, to me, it didn't feel right to be in there because it was so personal and so intimate to me. I, and I guess maybe that's where my mind made it easier. Um, and not that it was a conscious thought, but I actually did feel like I felt bad that I was in the room. Like this is a very, very intimate moment and it was so beautiful and and you kind of feel like you're intruding. Um, so, but I had to deliver the placenta too, so
0: I couldn't leave. <laughs> So we only, we only have a couple of minutes left. So are you still, are you still in touch? Obviously with this family and you're watching this
1: little girl grow. I am. um, We've decided I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to either, I can't decide whether to do a video or a letter, but I'm going to write her or do a video like snapshot presentation for her of why I chose to do this so that they can play that for her down the road when she's older. And then she'll know. But yeah, I do see her. We go for lunches. We do FaceTime. We um, yeah, they keep me updated on all her firsts and her pictures and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's 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 beautiful. And I would have been fine either way, to be honest. If they had chose not to, that's okay too. It's it doesn't matter to me. But uh, but yeah, it was it was probably the biggest honor I've had.
0: <laughs> well, you have you have been one of the most delightful people oh. I have ever met just so <laughs> giving and wonderful. And thank you for sharing your story with me and my listeners. Yeah. I, and and all honestly shedding some light on surrogacy in Canada, which I think a lot of people don't know about. So yeah um thank you for your time today, uh Wendy. You're I awesome. really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, this was fun. All right. Good to meet you, Candice. Bye. Bye. <laughs> what happens when we play outside? We become healthier both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance, and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.